you know, Jesus Christ is the theme of the Bible. And if you remember, when Jesus Christ, after His resurrection, was on the Emmaus Road with His disciples, He said, he said the, the Scriptures say, "...and beginning with Moses and the prophets, He expounded unto them all things in the Scriptures concerning Himself." And I've often said, wouldn't you have loved to have heard that sermon where Jesus Christ is pointing out Himself from the, from the Scriptures? This is where I love where Jesus will be quoting a, a, a Scripture passage and you'll read a commentary and the commentator is trying to figure out where Jesus Christ got that information. There, is He quoting the Septuagint? Is He quoting a book by Isaiah? Is he, where did He get this information? He wrote it. It's so interesting. Yeah. And so that just demonstrates really the faithlessness behind a lot of Christian literature. Uh, we believe that every word came from God. They are His very words. Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And that's what we have. Now, if Jesus Christ wrote it, and remember what He said to the Pharisees. He said, "...search the Scriptures, in them you think that you have eternal life." And these are they which testify of me. That's what Jesus said. These are they which testify of me. Jesus Christ is on every page of the Scriptures. But what I, as a matter of fact, I just, I had a preacher friend that I was speaking to this week, and he was commenting on how hard it is to preach Christmas sermons. Now, I want you to think about something. Imagine trying to come up with something new to say about Christmas every year. It's okay your first couple of years, but after a little while, you can only be so creative, right? Pretty soon you're going to be grandma got run over by a reindeer. That's going to be your sermon. And so what I, what I said to him that the Lord has done, because I went through that same process, what I like to do now at Christmas time is just preach about Jesus. And then you never have to worry about your subject matter. There's always something fresh. There's always something that you can see in the Scriptures and that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. So look at John chapter 1 and look at verse 29. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This Lamb of God. Let's try to trace this teaching about the Lamb. Let's trace it through the Scriptures and let's see what, where the Scriptures lead us today. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And look at verse 4. Hebrews 11 verse 4. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in the chair in front of you. And uh, if we're going to be all over the Scriptures, and if you're not used to finding books of the Bible, that's fine. We've all been there. That, there's a table of contents in the front of the Bible. Just feel free to use that. All right, so Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4. By faith Abel offered unto God. What, what does it say there? A more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it, he being dead, yet speaketh. So imagine this, one of the first people to ever live, Abel, made a sacrifice that God accepted. Now notice what the Bible says about that sacrifice. The first thing we understand is that he made that sacrifice by faith. By faith. 
Uh, we just spent a few weeks in, uh, on Wednesday night looking at Old Testament salvation. Do you know what the basis of Old Testament salvation was? Faith. Faith. By faith, Abel, the Bible says, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Uh, now, I, I love it when people say things like, um, it doesn't matter what you believe. You just have to believe. Well, what if I believe in Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? I'm going to pray to Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and I'm going to start the church of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. That would be as good as Christianity? See, that's where that concept of multiculturalism and of, uh, of relativism, all those ideas that if you believe that your uh, way of thought is better than another way of thought, that's considered bigoted or hateful because all ideas are the same. Now, we all know that that's silly, right? We all, what would you rather have? What would you rather have? A Ford Pinto or a Cadillac DeVille? What would you rather have? It depends on if you like things that blow up. If you like things that blow up, you'll get the Pinto. They, they, they put the gas tank in a really convenient place for accidents. It was awesome. Now, <laughs> no one would say that the, that the Pinto is as good as the, the Cadillac. Or, you know, you take a Lamborghini and put it up next to a Chevette. That, when I was in college, I drove a Chevette, a 1976 pale blue Chevette. And people would say, what kind of car do you have? I have a vet. <laughs> this was the worst car in the world, man. Uh, the, the shift linkage, you'd, you'd drive it, and every once in a while it would come out in your hand. <laughs> and you'd have to replace it. And the shift linkage, it was just this little piece of plastic. And then there'd be a hook with a cable for your clutch. It, it, this was the cheapest car in the history of the world. Now you, com you compare that to a Bugatti. All right, is one better than the other? It's like comparing a Ford truck to a Chevy truck. Come on. Uh-oh, now we're going to have a civil war. I, I, I told uh, Larry Broughton back there at Man Camp about that new Ford truck. It has, so, it has all these features on it. It's unbelievable. It even has heated bumpers, so your hands don't get cold when you're pushing it. That's, that's a great joke. That is a great joke. But here's the deal. We all understand, we all understand that some things are better than other things, right? A steak at Cracker Barrel is not the same thing as a real steak. It's just different. And here God said that Abel's sacrifice was more excellent than Cain's sacrifice. What's interesting is that there is a way to come to God that is better than all of the other ways to come to God. And it's Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, John 14, 6. So Christianity becomes a very exclusive religion. Now maybe we understand why Satan wants us to have an idea that all ideas are the same or that all religions are the same. 
because Christianity is very exclusive. So what is Satan going to do? Let's make everyone think that exclusivity of thought is evil. It's amazing. But God knew that that was going to happen. He planned for all of that. God, nothing ever surprises God. I was having a text conversation with a preacher yesterday asking me uh, about the difference between the omniscience of God and the foreknowledge of God. The omniscience, that means all-knowing. Or foreknowledge, that means God knows before. What's the difference? Foreknowledge is for us. Foreknowledge is we can understand that God has a plan, that He knows something before it happens, or He planned for something before it happens. But God, there's, God doesn't have a before. He's completely outside of time. The idea of God having foreknowledge, of God knowing something before it happens, that is something that is given to us so that we can understand because we're people of time. God's outside of time. He just knows everything all at once. He never learns anything. He never comes to understand something. He knows it all. And so in that understanding, in that omniscience, in that amazing plan of God, he started putting forth this understanding of the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. Let's go back there. Genesis chapter 3. Now we know what's happened. Adam and Eve have eaten of the fruit, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Sin has entered into the world, and now they're hiding from God. And look at what God says to them in verse 21. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 21. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. He didn't make aprons. They had made aprons. He made coats. That's an interesting distinction, isn't it? And you don't make a coat of skins by shaving an animal. When you take the skin off an animal... That's a tough injury to come back from. The animal dies. And so the result of sin was death. Remember what the Bible says, In the day thou eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. So when the people ate of the fruit, when Adam and Eve ate of that fruit, God was completely justified in killing them that very moment. But in His mercy, He killed an innocent victim a lamb, and clothed Adam and Eve. Teaching them what? That sin requires the death of either the sinner or an innocent victim. An innocent victim. And what happens here in this text, look at verse 22. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. Now remember, they already knew good. Remember, God had created uh, on, on, the, on the first day, and it was good. Second day, and it was good. They already had good. The only thing that was added to them was evil, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims, and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. 
And so we see here that sin entered into the world, and because there was sin, there had to be a sacrifice. And at this point, there had to be a covering. God could kill them or He could clothe them in the blood of an innocent victim and in the skins of an innocent victim. Now, how do we know that it was a lamb? Look at chapter 4, verse 1. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep. You see that? Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to... Pe- now, do you know what this tells us right here? That it's way better to eat meat than vegetables. That's what the Bible says. Okay. I'm a meditarian. Verse 3. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. Why? Is it because of what they brought? Yes. Yes. But not only was it because of what they brought, what they brought demonstrated an attitude. Abel was going to bring what God told him to bring. Cain wasn't. Cain was going to do it his own way. Cain was going to worship the way that he wanted to worship. Cain was going to worship in the way that he thought was right rather than the way that God thought was right. Remember what Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith, Abel brought a more excellent sacrifice. By faith. Remember, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. God had told Adam and Eve that there had to be a sacrifice. Then He had shown what that sacrifice would be. And here's how we know that. Look at what it says in verse 6. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? Now let's stop right there for a minute. Parents, how many of you know what it means for a child to have his countenance fallen? And you kids, you think, this is so funny. You think that your parents will tell you something to do and you don't want to do it, and you do it with this look on your face, and you think they don't know what you're thinking. They know what you're thinking. And what they ought to do is smack you in your pointy little head. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. I just can't believe you talk about striking a child. Okay, we got two choices. Bop the little kid in the back of the head or go feed him in prison. Okay, those are our choices. That's a different message. Now, his countenance was fallen. Why is your, and this is why we, we often talk with parents about you've got to train and you've got to parent your child's heart. You have to parent their attitudes. You have to parent their, their, their facial expressions. Because I'll tell you, if you want your child to get ahead, how many of you who are employers and you ask an employee to do something and they go like this, <laughs> That that's going to help them get a promotion. No. What's going to help them? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I'll take care of it. That's, that's what's going to get them ahead. So how about we train our children to do that? Jacob, I need you to do something. Yes, sir. Lydia, I need you to do something. Yes, sir. But I'm watching a show. That's Jacob's voice. <laughs> Just so you know, 
I try not to brag on my kids. I generally just abuse them in public. <laughs> but I'm watching a show. That's never happened. <laughs> not once. Why? Because there's no show in the world that's more important than what Dad wants me to do. What is that teaching your children? The importance of structure. The importance of respect. The priority of the father and the mother in the home. It, all those things are so important. I just have to finish this game. I've got to get to the next level. The game will last longer for you. Come do what I'm, I want you to do. Amen? I just can't imagine having to wait when I need something, having to wait for a video game to finish. Now, I know some of you parents with the gift of mercy are going, oh, that's so, that's going to hurt his little self-esteem. It's terrible. <laughs> Man camp, yes. Um, no, it's teaching how to follow instructions. Teaching how to follow instructions. And do you know what's amazing, young people? We actually know what you're doing. And if dad or mom think that what they need you to do right that moment is more important than that game, I want you to understand, they've already done that math. Amen, parents? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So, there we are. That's a different message. But look at what happened here. Verse 7. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? What happened? Was it his sacrifice that wasn't accepted, or was it Cain that wasn't accepted? What's the text say? Look, if thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? Now remember the T's in the, in the Y's. T, that's singular. The thou, he's saying Cain. He's not saying everyone, he's saying Cain. The problem with Cain was not his sacrifice. The sacrifice gave witness that he did not have faith. How do we know that? Because Hebrews 11.4 says that, that Abel's more excellent sacrifice gave witness to the fact that he believed God. Gave witness to the fact that he had faith. So Cain's sacrifice gave witness to the fact that he did not have faith. Now, it's so wonderful that God is teaching us in this text how to parent. Because what God... Now, did God know everything that was going on? So what God is teaching us is that when Mackenzie's countenance falls, that work needs to be done on the heart. Work needs to be done on the faith. You see? Isn't that interesting? The, the, the sacrifice was secondary. It was important but it demonstrated a problem with the heart. He didn't believe what God had told him about sacrifice. He didn't believe it. He didn't believe it. And so what we have to do is we have to see that there was a specific sacrifice that was necessary here, and it was a lamb. And that sacrifice of the lamb demonstrated that the individual understood that sin required a blood sacrifice of a spotless lamb. Go to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. This is such an amazing passage. Now remember what's happened in this text. God has promised Abraham a son. And when he's an old man, he gives Sarah and Abraham a son. 
Isaac. And now look what God tells him to do with Isaac. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. Now, can you imagine that? How many of you love your children? Well, Abraham loved Isaac. And look at what God tells him to do. And here's the amazing thing. Isaac did it. Isaac did it. He had, he had genuine faith in God. Why? Because God had promised Abraham that he was going to make of him a great nation and that that child was the child of promise. And Isaac was the person that God was going to use to make of him a great nation. And he believed God. Abraham believed God. And we know that. The Bible says that over and over again. Look at what it says in verse 3. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Now I want you to notice this. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his, up his eyes and saw the place afar off. So he, what happens? God tells Abraham to kill his son. Abraham says, Okay, God. The thing that you have to understand is Isaac died right there. What does the Bible say? You've heard thou shalt not kill. The man hates his brother. He's committed murder already. Isaac died right here. And what do we see? On the third day. The third day is when they go up on the mountain. The third day is when Isaac is saved. The third day is when they come down alive. Every time you see the third day in the Bible, there's death and resurrection. Every time you see it. Supernatural power of the Scriptures. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham. I want you to think about something. Here's the only son, the beloved son, through whom would come the salvation of the world, carrying a pile of wood up a mountain. Does that remind you of anything? Then look at what the Bible says. And Isaac spake unto Abraham, verse 7, his father, and said, My father, he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the, what? Why a lamb? Why a lamb? This is thousands of years later than Genesis 3. Why a lamb? Because that's what God said had to be sacrificed, was a lamb. That's what they would bring. Now look at what the text says. Where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My God will himself provide for us a lamb. Is that what the text says? No. Look at the way the text reads. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. So they went both of them together. You see, here in this text, we're going to see God provide a lamb. But thousands of years later, do you know what God's going to do? 
He's going to provide Himself a lamb. He's going to provide Himself a lamb. 700 some years later. Now, look what the Bible says. Verse 9. And they came to a place, to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him upon the altar, laid him on the altar upon the wood. Now, you all need to understand something. Isaac is full grown here. His father's an old man. And the simple fact is a young man is stronger than an old man. Now, you're not stronger than your dad. Your dad's not old yet. Your dad will kick your tail. But a young man is stronger than an old man. How many of you recognize that? Isaac was obeying his father. Isaac trusted his father. Again, a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ here. Then look at what it says. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. I would ask you, parents, have you given your children to the Lord in this way? To where you'd say, God, take my son and do anything you'd like with him. Take my son. Take my daughter. Verse 13, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him, a what? A ram caught in the thicket by his horns. A ram. What is a ram? A ram is a full-grown male sheep. When we think of Christmas, we think of the baby in Bethlehem. Jesus Christ was full-grown. And he went to the cross. But I also want you to see this. Where, this is a difficult question. You young people, I want to see if you can answer this. Are you ready? Where are a ram's horns? On his head. Mackenzie got that the first time. (laughs) On his head. What did God do? God brought a sacrifice with thorns wrapped around his head to come and to be a sacrifice for Abraham and for Isaac. But what if God had allowed Abraham to kill Isaac? Would that have paid for anyone's sins? No, because he wasn't a sinless sacrifice. This ram, did this ram pay for sins? No, this ram covered sins. This ram covered sins. This ram was pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. Look at verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Now, so he's establishing a calendar for them. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man. Now look at this. I want you to all look at your scriptures here. I want you to notice something very interesting. Every man a lamb. Do you see that? A lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. So what do we see here? We've seen a lamb for Abel. We've seen a lamb or a ram for, uh, for Abraham and Isaac. And now we see a lamb. Every man has to take a lamb for his house. So you have a lamb. Look at verse 4. And if the house be too little for the lamb, so not just any lamb, it's got to be the lamb, 
Let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of their souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Now, so you have a lamb and then the lamb. It has to be a specific lamb, not just any lamb. And now look at verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish. You see, we understand that Jesus Christ was a lamb. We understand that He was the lamb. But before that sacrifice can apply to you, He's got to become your lamb. The sacrifice has to be applied to your account. Verse 5, Your lamb shall be without blemish. I find no fault in him. Do you remember that? A male of the first year. Ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and ye shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month, the fourteenth day of Nisan. Fourteenth day of Nisan. What day, by coincidence, do you think it was that Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross? The fourteenth day of Nisan. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. Crucify Him! Crucify Him! That's what they cried. And Jesus Christ was crucified for them. Look at what it says in verse 10. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning. What did they do? They came by and they saw Jesus and they saw that He was dead. And they thrust the spear in His side and they took Him down. They took His body completely off that cross before the morning and they put it in a borrowed tomb. This all speaks of Jesus. Then look at what it says. Verse 12. For I will pass through... Um, let's look, go back with me to verse 7. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door of the houses wherein they shall eat of it. So imagine that you have a door and on the side posts of the door and on the top of the door you put the blood. And so there's your cross. And God says, when I come through, I'm going to see that. Now, I want you to think about something. Imagine if they had said, I'm going to put my baptismal certificate on the door. I'm going to put a picture of my good works on the door. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put my tithe envelope on the door. What would have happened? They would have died. They would have died. Look at what the Bible says. Verse 11. Thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand. This is the, the Lord's Passover. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord." And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. What's going on? Sin requires sacrifice. And you've heard of the death angel coming through Egypt. There was no death angel. It was God Himself. He said, when I see the blood, and what was He seeing? He was seeing blood that pictured the blood of a lamb. It was the blood of a lamb, a spotless lamb. Now, go with me to Luke. For thousands of years, that lamb is gone. For thousands of years, that lamb has been promised. And every one of these sacrifices that is made, it pictures the lamb of God 
that takes away the sins of the world. Every one of these sacrifices pointed to the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 1. Luke chapter 2 and verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there... What's happening in those days? Those of you who are Bible students, you might want to check that out. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. What belonged in the manger? A lamb. A lamb belonged in the manger, not a baby. Isn't it interesting? Jesus Christ, imagine he went to Joseph, went to his home, went to his hometown, went to the city of his lineage. I'm sure his father was a carpenter before him and his father before him, they were all carpenters. He probably could have found a carpenter shop to stay in. But Jesus wasn't born to be a carpenter. He was born to be a lamb. And there he was in a manger. And this is very interesting. Verse 8. And there were in the same country construction workers. Who, who does God first tell to come and see the child? Shepherds. Why? Because it's the announcement of a lamb. And who were these shepherds? These were the shepherds that would keep the lambs for the temple sacrifice. So look what the text says. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born, unto who? Unto you, unto these shepherds. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a heavenly host, or multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to... Let's read all verse 14 together. You ready? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. One of the new Bible translations says, And peace toward men of goodwill. Unbelievable. Verse 15, And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And what did they get to see? The shepherds got to see the Lamb of God. Now go back to John chapter 1. Thirty years later, Thirty years later, John is baptizing. And, of course, he's down in the water so that he could baptize by immersion. Verse 29, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Well, this Lamb, how is this Lamb going to take away the sin of the world? Go to Isaiah chapter 53. 
verse 1. Isaiah 53 and verse 1. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Isaiah 53, 3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. He becomes a swear word. He becomes someone that, that cartoons mock in the 21st century. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a what? As a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked. And with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Wow. How did this Lamb of God save the world? He was sacrificed. He was nailed to a cross. He died on the cross. And God accepted it. God accepted it. You see, that's the Lamb of God. But that's not the end of the story. You want to see the end of the story? Go to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, look at verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And behold... And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood what? A lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. 
And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by Thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld... And I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a what? With a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto Him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped Him that liveth forever and ever. That's the Lamb. That's the Lamb. Are you willing to praise Him with a loud voice? Or is it private faith. It's, it's personal. It's, it's just for me. No, no, no. This king, this lamb, he's worthy to be worshipped with a loud voice. With a loud voice. Let's all stand and let's read this verse out loud together. Stand up with me. Let's start reading in verse 12. And let's read this with a loud voice saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto Him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped Him that liveth forever and ever. Do we worship the Lamb here? That's who came at Christmas. He came to die on the cross for us. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And He's going to bear those marks for eternity. When you see Jesus, do you know what you're going to see? A lamb as it had been slain. He did that for us. He deserves our worship, folks. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word.